Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Your frozen host, uh, Lynn Cullen. Hey, how you doing? Uh, welcome. You know, um, this this weather, uh, in this weather, my 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 toes, not that you care, but I'm going to subject you to this information anyway. My toes get really numb very quickly. It doesn't matter if I've got tons of socks on. I got like uh, boots with, and this always sends me careening back to when I got frostbite in them, uh, thus plaguing me with this problem in my fingertips and my toes for the rest of my life. And I think of it only because um, it was the 50th anniversary of that day uh, last weekend. Um, I can't believe it was 50 years ago. I was sitting in Lambeau Field um, watching uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys in what is known as the Ice Bowl. And I have never, no one in that place ever experienced the cold uh, of that day. Uh, It was beyond comprehension. And I happened to read some story about the 50th anniversary. And some guy uh, who had been there as well said that he was in seated in the end zone so that when the final score happened an infamous infamous a famous uh famous play uh, he jumped out of his seat like i suppose the rest of us and he said i was jumping up and down but i couldn't feel my feet or my lower legs so it sort of felt like I was jumping on my knees. And when I read that, I thought, oh my God, that is exactly right. Our legs were so, our feet and our lower legs, mine too, so frozen solid that they were absolutely numb, without feeling. You had no sense of having them. And so to walk was when the game was over, I we were holding on to each other trying to get down the steps of the stadium because I guess it was a little look into uh, severe neuropathy. If you have no feeling in your feet and your lower legs, it is very hard to walk because you rely on that sense of touching ground. And if you can't feel yourself touching the ground... Anyway, I I have um when we got into the car I mean people were moaning <laughs> moaning and when we got home my mother lit a fire in the fireplace and I parked myself in front of it. That was stupid as it turns out because you're supposed to thaw slowly. And I recall, like literally, like whimpering in front of that fire. It hurt so much, as I unthought. But from that day on, I have almost zero tolerance for cold. My feet and my my hands do. And I bet there's a lot of other folks who were at Lambeau Field 50 years ago uh, in a week that that have the same <laughs> affliction. So I, it brings it to mind. I couldn't believe that it was 50 years. It is 50 years. Yep. I happen to know because I'm heading into a yeah birthday now and it absolutely sets it exactly where it was. I was a freshman at Northwestern University. Yep. Okay, just saying, this kind of cold reminds me, takes me back, as they say. Uh Apparently today is going to be balmy uh, in comparison to tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. 
So uh, bundle, God, guys, stay warm. I, I mean, really. There, there was a piece in the local paper that said, um, in in our region, I guess you know Pittsburgh area, southwestern PA, um, there are 3,149 residential uh, customers who have no heat. So those are over 3,000 homes that have no heat. We know the exact number, 3,149, because utility companies are, by law, uh, required to report to a state agency, the, uh, I guess it's the Public Utility Commission, uh, how many residential customers they have disconnected uh, prior to winter months. And that's the number here, 3,149 that, uh, that local utilities have disconnected. And, and I have to tell you, it is beyond me how that is legal. I, I mean, I understand that people have to pay bills, their bills, but um, one needs heat in this climate, uh, especially in this kind of uh, weather, uh, to survive and figuring that some of those people who can't pay their bills might be elderly, might have children. Uh, to me, I've never understood it. It seems like it's unconscionable that a so-called public utility could be allowed to sever somebody's connection to life-giving heat. I'll never understand it. There are, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, places that supposedly can help people in that uh, situation, but um, it just seems to me inhumane. All I'm saying, I've never understood it. Never. There is so much I don't understand. <laughs> I thought that the older you got, the wiser you got. And I feel that the older I get, the more befuddled I or I, I am just as befuddled, just as flummoxed, just as gobsmacked and slack-jawed by what is reality than I than I was when I was a kid and figuring someday it would all make some sense. It doesn't make any sense. Not to me. So, anyway. The big news today, I don't know if there's big news. The big news today is we're, uh, <laughs> we have uh, a delusional uh, idiot at uh, the helm. Uh, this president of ours is as clownish and frightening as I thought he would be, but um, it is beyond my comprehension. Again, here I am, the stunned spectator of reality, that he's not being ushered out of that office, that the country as, as one is not rising up and saying, <laughs> this is <clears throat> unacceptable, this is uh, clearly a dereliction of your uh, oath of office, uh, this is placing us and the world in danger, and you, sir, have to go. The reason that's not happening is because you have a complicit Republican Party <clears throat> uh, because the only the way our government works the only people who can really take him out is another branch of government or his own cabinet now I have to tell you I 
I have little doubt that there have been conversations between and or amongst um, certain cabinet members about whether or not to invoke the 25th Amendment and get him out. I there are uh, there are enough I think uh, still I don't know I mean how can I think that to me anyone who would serve him is is already showing such poor judgment that I I don't know <clears throat> his tweets of yesterday are the uh, clear. I mean, he's. Uh, I'm so sick of saying this. I think he's insane. He has reduced us all to living in his reality show. That's the truth. That's where we are. And he's playing with nuclear warfare. Um, it's the only way he knows how to navigate. It's what he's good at. And so he's playing this role, the President of the United States, as he played his role on The Apprentice, as he played his role as the big real estate developer. Um, this guy is dangerous. All you have to do if you don't if you think I'm being a little over the top is check out what former heads of the CIA, <laughs> the NSC and other intelligence organizations are saying about him. They ain't sleeping at night anymore. They I mean it was always hard for them to sleep. They know too much. But they are not sleeping. When, when Hayden and Clapper and that whole bunch of guys who served in those positions are saying forth, forthrightly, I'm scared. Then if you're not scared, <clears throat> you're, as they say, whistling past the graveyard. Uh, this president of ours is, um, and, and there's been more and more being written about it, but you don't see it on uh, like network news or cable starting to sort of tiptoe into whether or not he is in fact mentally uh, losing it. There are people who have known him for years <coughs> Uh, like the guy who wrote a lot of his books, who say he's different and it's scary. He doesn't seem, he used to talk. The guy who wrote The Art of the Deal said he has changed. This is not, he used to talk in incomplete sentences. He was capable of not sounding like a, I don't know, a, an eight-year-old. He could he could speak. He could even at times uh, approach, well, I don't know about that, eloquence. He had a vocabulary. He, he could form thoughts and sentences. And people who knew him back then and looking at him now say, something's wrong. Something's wrong. He just, there's not nothing, something is definitely ain't working as well as it used to. So this is the President of the United States, and uh, I, yesterday, I, I, how many tweets yesterday? There were, it was in the, in the teens maybe. Well, it, it was, I'm looking here. Okay, I'm going to start from 24 hours ago. 
he starts 24 hours ago jumping on Democrats. Uh, oh, no, I'll just drop back a little bit because this is the tweet. Since taking office, I have been very strict on co commercial aviation. It was just reported that there were zero deaths in 2017. The best and safest year on record, exclamation point. <clears throat> First of all, that's not true. We've had a number of years without uh, commercial uh, crashes. Uh, he has done nothing with commercial aviation. And for him to take credit for no planes falling out of the sky or crashing into each other shows a level of, again, uh, <clears throat> narcissism, delusion uh, that is, is frightening. Then he goes after the failing New York Times. This is the president. He doesn't have anything to do. Then he goes after Democrats about DACA. And he says that DACA activists and Hispanics will go hard against Dems and will start falling in love with Republicans and their president. What? He's the one who put the kibosh on DACA. Hispanics falling in love with him? Are you kidding? Again, delusion. He's not even operating in, um, <clears throat> in a world of reality. We know this, and I know, it, it's, again, it's... Where does it get us um, to keep repeating this if we don't somehow act? There's one about Hatch. Here's one uh, causing trouble with Pakistan, which is a nuclear power as well. I mean, tweets uh, that the leaders of nuclear-powered uh, nations that are not necessarily uh, in our camp all the time is playing with fire fire he did then he tweeted about the Palestinians this is all in the same he caused trouble in the Middle East in Pakistan then he goes over to North Korea this is all within a few hours of each other yesterday uh, he says this this is the one that's getting all the play <coughs> North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I, too, have a nuclear button, capitals, but it is a much bigger and more powerful one than his, and my button works. <coughs> Uh, <laughs> I I don't I, you know I I I, ha I have no words I have no words and this when there's been some some conciliatory uh, words from North Korea in the last few days. Uh, which could have been picked up on in some measure, uh, no. And then this. This is the one that actually blew me away more than any. Right after he goes after, uh, he starts comparing the size of his button uh, with the size of Kim Jong-un's button. He then says, I will be announcing and this is in all caps, the most dishonest and corrupt media awards of the year on Monday at 5 o'clock. 
So it's not enough for him to have forced us all into a reality show. But now he's actually taking on, I guess, the Academy Awards or something. He's coming out with his nominations at 5 p.m. on Monday of Dishonest Media. Subjects will cover, so there's different categories, you know, like best day. Subjects will cover dishonesty and bad reporting in various categories from the fake news media. Stay tuned. This is a president? Um, Stephen is telling me that as you look, and a lot of people are doing this, if you look at the tweets and the subject matter of them, they absolutely coincide with whatever Fox News is talking about at that time. So the president's tweets lag a little bit behind Fox News. But Fox News talking about Pakistan, he tweets Pakistan. Fox News talking about the Palestinians, Palestinians. Fox News talking about DACA, DACA. We've got a president. <laughs> you can't make it up. We have a president sitting there watching TV, watching uh, a so-called newscast, which is not. It's a propaganda arm of his government. And he's just... I. Okay. Wait, I'm missing some here. I don't know. And then he tweet. Then he, he. Oh God. He does this whole thing in which he quotes Lou Dobbs saying something wonderful about him, and then uh, such respect for the people of Iran. We will support you. The people of Iran are people that he has blanket statement refused to allow into the United States. Now he's going to help them. We're in uh, we're in trouble, guys. I don't know what else to say. I I. <coughs> I don't even want, you know, part of me doesn't even want to pay attention to this because it makes you crazy. And as I said, I enjoyed my time off because I wasn't paying attention to stuff like uh, this. Then he called his own Justice Department the Deep State Justice Department. His own Justice Department, he's suggesting, is working against his interests. He's gone after Huma Abedin. I, what? Today. She was Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman, married to Carlos Danger, Wiener. And he tweeted today that she should be jailed. As should Comey. A president. See, remember when he first took office and we said, we will not allow this, any of this to be normalized? Well, time normalizes. And so it is normalized. Any one of the tweets of yesterday would have caused us to go crazy a year ago. And that's how this stuff, I guess, can take hold. You just stop being able to react with the same genuine and understandable uh, reaction. You, you, 
you instead become numb or you turn away for your own self-preservation. People who pay attention now are not happy people. And I got a, I flirted with, in the last few weeks, joining the ranks of people who don't pay attention because they're happier. I'm constitutionally incapable of not paying attention. But I understand why people do. You could argue it's a selfish thing to do, that we all need to stand and witness and resist and try to save what's left of our democracy. But I can see why people say, it's too big for me. Too big. I'm, the rest of you go ahead. I won't be missed. I can see where a person would say that. Some of us, it has to do, I guess, with the way you were brought up. Um, some of us can't. Some of us just can't. It was drilled into our heads that community, whether that's your neighborhood or your city or your state or your you know, faith community or your nation, but community, connection to others is one of the most important things you do in life, that literally no man is an island. Wow. So, unbelievable. All right, that's all I <coughs> can say. <coughs> Sorry. Let's cheer up. Obituary of the day. As I said... All the people who are dying off, some of them I suspect are just dying off to get away. Get away. I don't want any more of this. I can't take this. I mean, people who might have been hanging on, you know, just say, what's the point? I'm out of here. I don't need to know how this ends. I'm getting out first. I understand that. Uh, obituary of the day, Ben Barris, age 60-something, three, too young. Ben Barris is uh, said in this obituary, to be a world-renowned researcher on the chemistry of the brain, the structure of the brain, the function of the brain, and all the stuff apparently that he discovered in his 63 years uh, are, are behind a lot of the research that is going on now on Alzheimer's and other degenerative disorders. I bet Ben Barris, looking at uh, Donald Trump, would say this guy's brain is clearly not functioning as it should, or even as it did. So this guy, brain researcher, a brain, a brain scientist. I mean, he was uh, one of his students got is a MacArthur Grant genius. And uh, he said that this guy uh, absolutely made one shocking revolutionary discovery after another. And I, I mean, the world is in his debt. I'm not going to They try to explain in here part of what he, uh, what he discovered. He was, by the way, at Stanford University, and it has to do with something called glial cells. 
which are the structures, the most numerous structures in the brain, but nobody quite knew what they were there for. He figured it out. Okay. So the reason I bring him up is not only because he, in his 63 years, immeasurably made a positive impact on the lives of probably millions of people, many of whom are not yet born. A life like this stands in such contrast to a life like Donald Trump's, right? Donald Trump's life is a life that has had huge impact on millions of people as well, but a destructive one. So you have a good man, Ben Barris, and you have a very, very, very bad man, child man, Donald Trump, who, because of the unseriousness of our fellow citizens, has become the most powerful man in the world. The thing about Ben Barris that is also extremely interesting and also brings us back to Trump is that Ben Barris was born in where some midwestern state I think he was uh, he was born in oh no New Jersey his dad was a salesman he was a twin And he was a girl. Ben Barris was born as Barbara Barris. And he did not become Ben Barris until 20 years ago. And the fact that he lived most of his life as Barbara Barris, brain scientist, brilliant brain scientist, and only the last 20 years of his life as Ben Barris, brilliant brain scientist, he was able to answer a question that very few people can, is what if I were, I mean a lot of women I think ask themselves this in their professional life, what if I were a man? How would my career be different? He found out. And it made Ben Barris extraordinarily empathic to use my sister's term to people who are marginalized women and others transgender which he was and because the science world is dominated by men, right? As Barbara Barris, he struggled mightily to be heard, to be listened to. Look what I found! It wasn't until he was Ben Barris that people, he said, started letting him finish a sentence. He said he once, after he had transitioned to life as a man, he led a seminar at some academic conference. And a colleague of his reported back to him that he'd heard another scientist say this. Ben Barris gave such a great seminar today. 
But then his work is so much better than his sister's. This brilliant scientist who said that thought Barbara Barris must be his sister. He'd seen things Barbara Barris had written. And now listening to Ben Barris said it's quite clear Ben Barris is smarter than Barbara. They were one and the same. But the assumption, of course, is that Ben, the man, was of course more brilliant than Barbara. And Barris said this, People who don't know I am transgender treat me with much more respect than I was treated as a woman. So he would have that ability to compare. And he did. And he spoke out about it. And I'm sure you'll remember when the then president of Harvard University, Larry Summers, made his disparaging remarks uh, about the fact that the reason there weren't a lot of women in science was that they lacked the intrinsic aptitude to be a scientist, Ben Barris went berserk. And he wrote a piece in, uh, I'm not sure what, some some publication, scientific publication, just going after Summers. And he was immediately attacked by a bunch of other Harvard professors, including, and I want to out this guy just because a lot of people think he's Steven Pinker, okay? Because he's quite a celebrity psychologist, scientist. Steven Pinker said Ben Barris had reduced science to Oprah. <sighs> Dr. Barris was interested in science from day one. He was the first member of his family to even go to college. And then, of course, on to MIT and then to Stanford. And he said, I was the only person in a large class of people of nearly all men that solved a hard math problem. This is when he was in college only to be told by the professor that my boyfriend must have solved it for me. Welcome to a woman's world, again. And here's a guy, God bless him, who knew firsthand, wow, what it was like to be a professional woman and then a professional man. And it was night and day. I read that old bit and I thought, oh my God, there it is. Isn't that neat though to be able to make that comparison? So transgender people can. What would it be like to live as a boy? What would it be like to live as a girl? They can. They know. Uh, Mark writes, I think you saw Mike Pence's three-minute praise of Donald Trump at a cabinet meeting after the tax bill passed. Yes, I did. Well, what, he, he was kissing Trump's every body part and while Trump sat there like this. The Grand High Poobah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I keep doing this to you guys who email me. So I read that first sentence and then went off on my thing. And now I'm back to the email. And of course he said what I... I, I should just read your emails and stop walking all over them. So 
uh, Mark said, um, blah, 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 Trump sat there with his arms crossed in menacing fashion, as if to say, I will let you know when you have praised me enough. And this is after a big win. Yeah, it was after, um, I guess, their tax bill passed. So here is my challenge, says Mark. You obviously care a great deal for your sister Susan. I bet that you cannot get her on the phone and praise her for three straight minutes <laughs> without resorting to a silly voice. I know I couldn't. Pence is every bit as strange as Trump for allowing Trump to treat him like this. Well, I agree. <coughs> what self-respecting person would ever do what Pence did? Uh, the le- I mean, a, a, a sycophant. Is it sycophant or sycophant? I think it's sycophant. Sycophancy. I am incapable of being a sycophant. Or a psychophant for them. I'm absolutely incapable of it. And I'm very lucky that I worked in a uh, profession where there was not a very great expectation of um, deference to the boss. Uh, at least there wasn't where I worked. I mean, you were on a first name basis. You could do, I never, and I, I mean, you could say things, it was, I don't know, I never felt like I had to be, ever. And maybe I just got away with it because they, you know, they were getting something out of me, but I, I could no more kiss ass than, I can't imagine, how do you have, how do you look yourself in the mirror how do you have any measure of self-respect? I mean, I can't think of anything more important than self-respect. If you don't respect yourself, if you can't feel like I am, yes, my own person, if you can't do that, I, could, I mean, I personally, I couldn't live, I don't think. Just saying. So goodbye, Orrin Hatch, and good riddance. One of our own guys, as you know. The University of Pittsburgh Law School. University of Pittsburgh, I think, BA too, right? No, I think he went to Brigham Young. Uh, but, yeah, we hatched Orrin Hatch. Right here. He was the student body president at Baldwin High School. University of Pittsburgh Law School gave him a scholarship so he could attend. And uh, what a creep. What a disgusting creep. Good riddance, buddy boy. Okay, I got this. This is my favorite story of the day. This is out of uh, Taiwan. You can place that, right? Taipei, Taiwan. The island nation that uh, the Chinese still think is theirs. And probably is. <laughs> Actually, I think. I don't know. Anyway, um, that culture is a culture that, unlike ours, reveres old people. When you get old in this country, you become invisible. That's what everybody will tell you. And you don't necessarily believe it or understand what they're saying till you get old. And especially if you're a woman. Um, if you're a woman, if you're disabled... If you're in a wheelchair, you are. It's all the same. You just sort of are fade. You fade into the woodwork because young people absolutely discount you. In the Chinese culture, that is not the case, and there is in the culture 
an implicit understanding that children will care for their parents in old age. There's no putting them in some home. You will care for them. They will not live in poverty because you will ensure that they have the money to live a respectable life. This is as much of the culture as, uh, I don't know, self-interest is in ours. Obviously, Americans might have trouble comprehending this. It is so alien to our culture, is it not? In our culture, if there's any sense that children take care of their parents, it's that daughters take care of their parents because it is a rarity. I know it's not totally out of the picture because there are men, maybe only children, men who don't have a sister, <laughs> who care for their parents. But generally, if there's a girl around, a daughter, that's her responsibility. So we, and even then, so there is a case that went to Taiwan Supreme Court. It's the case of a woman, an old woman, a mother, who sued her son, a dentist, who she had put through dental school after raising him, who sued him because he had broken a, not just the implicit, she had had him sign a written contract when he was 20 years old. I think she might have suspected he wasn't going wasn't gonna to pass muster. So she had had him sign a contract when he was 20 years old that stipulated that he and his brother, both of whom she put through dental school, would get this, get this, this will blow, it blew my mind, that they would pay her 60% of their net profits. She wanted most of what they were making, 60% of their net profits, until the amount reached $50 million Taiwan dollars, or in our dollars, just under $1.7 million. She had her boys sign a contract that said, all right, Mom, we will pay <coughs> 60% of everything we have till we've managed to get up to 1.7 million. I mean, one can't even imagine anybody in the United States even comprehending that up that far. But here's the killer. Taiwan Supreme Court sided with the mother and ordered the son to make good and pay her essentially a million dollars. He hadn't gotten close. They pay her a million dollars. He had paid her, but not up to the level that he had contractually agreed to. But in a Chinese culture, a Confucian culture, uh, the the principle of filial filial piety is what it's called that a child cannot in any way repay what his or her parents have given them but there is an expectation that there will be an effort to do so and this is not just something that is sort of in the culture. It is in the law in Taiwan, has been codified 
so that an adult in Taiwan is legally prohibited from abandoning a parent. Wow. Is that blow your mind? We have a call. Hey, caller, are you still there? Yes, I am. Thank you. Hello, Lynn. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Lynn. What you said is, I just I was just studying um, a, a class on computer on uh, a college course on the analyst Confucius, and I was just studying this morning all about Confucian. Confucius, and what you said was completely correct. <coughs> Complete filial love, right? Or to the parents. I just read that this morning in my in my lecture. Wow. It's complete. Uh-huh. It's because it, it's it's indoctrinated in Confucianism. The first love is the filial love. If you can't love your parents, you cannot love anybody else. It's completely Confucianism is completely fascinating. I'm a Taoist. I was trying to study Taoism, but I got in into this Confucianism because it's related to it, but it's a, it's a complete philosophy that's different than ours in the United States. Totally. We're, I mean... Like you say, we're, compat- we're capitalists to the nth degree. No, we're, we're yeah, all but, about self-interest. That is, that is our exactly. value. And you know what? And, Given a choice, um, I'd take Confucianism, too. Uh, self-interest, a culture based on self-interest, is an ugly culture. I'm sorry. Well, and we have the most ugliest person right now. Well, he's he's actually maybe you know we deserve him in that he typifies he typifies uh, he's the most self interested person in the world, and that's what Americans are all about. I mean, it it is that's what capitalism is about too. And this sense that if everybody everybody is operating in their own self interest, somehow everything's supposed to work out just fine. (laughs) <laughs> and that's exactly what Confucius would say is, is completely incorrect. Of course. If you do that, you're going to have you're going to have our society of all the killings and murders and beheadings and or not beheadings, but just the chaos that this country has. China has a billion people. Imagine trying to run a country of a billion. We have three hundred some million, three hundred twenty-five, about a third or fourth. They have less people in their jails than we do. Okay, mm-hmm. because and but here's what they said. I'll just be and I'll just be off the phone here. The Chinese president said the number one problem we have right now, the current Chinese president said right now in China, our number one problem is not, what do you think it is? What do you think, what do you think he said the number one problem in China is right now? I can't imagine. We have to correct. I don't know. Internal corruption. Ha! Not anybody, not the United States, not environmentalism, not terrorism, not anybody, it's ourselves. He said if we will fall apart in China, if we become... If we do not fulfill our job as, as, as leaders and do the right and proper thing internally, not worry about anybody else but ourselves, we will, we will succeed. If we do not, we will fail. Mm-hmm. The United States will never ever. Don't you imagine Donald Trump saying, well, nope. if, if, <laughs> well he did in his way. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Exactly. I mean, we're he did in his way. Of, he said exactly. he, he was going to drain. He was going to drain the swamp. That is his way of talking about corruption. Uh, that's what Trump said. I mean, when in fact he is the greatest swamp monster of all time. And for all I know, the Chinese guy is too. I mean, I don't know enough about uh, well, know corruption in in to China to know whether or not well, it's, it's, this is a power too. play it's of some too. sort. But see, they, there's this, there's, that's a whole different culture, so they kind of have much more aligned to honor and, uh, and honor. It's much honor? More honor the What's that? <laughs> you know, you're throwing <laughs> see, around filial piety and honor. These are, these are alien concepts. Exactly. And Confucius was totally concerned with, consumed with virtuous leaders. <laughs> I mean, he was... Whatever you want to learn about Donald Trump, if you if you basically you've learned about Confucianism by Donald Trump is everything you learn about Donald Trump. Imagine the opposite of right of, of Donald Trump, right, and that's Confucianism. Yeah, that's everything, right. Everything you you see is an <laughs> ear, mirror image. I just thought of that right now. A mirror image of of what not of what Confucian was called a you know basically not a person who's of a, a com he would call him a commoner or a person who's not who's not educated because there was you know. 
Confucian doesn't want people like he was like a Barack Obama would be a person who Confucian would say that's a good leader. He mm-hmm. tried to he tried to do the right thing. He kept his family together and he was honorable. He kept his daughters. He's yeah. an honorable man. He was yeah. a total. He was a, he was a total gentleman. He would never act out of yeah. And what did balance, this country do? They and this country we, after eight years of an honorable <laughs> man elected <laughs> the worst human being on earth. <laughs> We do better with happened? Jeffrey Dahmer in the White House. I mean, it is un-effing believable. All right. He got the biggest button in the world. Yeah. Oh, he, he does. The biggest button in the world. Yeah. He got the biggest button in the I got to go, Lynn. I know you do. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs> Bye. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> Our Taoist is becoming a Confucian. What's next? He'll be a Hare Krishna next time he calls. Uh, so, what do I got here? Uh, bidi 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 bidi. Margaret says, Pence is revolting. <laughs> yes, he is. But, uh, then again, he is what's going to follow if we manage to kick the orange monster out. Check the YouTube comments, says my producer. Yeah, okay. I mean, you want me to see? Lynn, you look fine for a 60-plus-year-old woman. Stop being so hard on yourself. You are lovely and will always be. Well, thank Thank you. Here's somebody else uh, commented, The strobe! The siren! Oh, sorry. Let me stop. <laughs> That won't happen for another month. It happens every month on a Tuesday, right? Has Trump launched the nukes? Well, yeah, that's exactly what it seemed to me. I mean, it was just, you know, that level of, like, terror, alarm, horror. Oh. And here from a t- obvious fan. <laughs> when the strobe and the siren went off, C. Cooper wrote, Wow, something more annoying than your whiny voice. <laughs> Hard to imagine. Thank you. He's not a fan. No, I, I obviously. I can tell. After years in this business, I know one when I see one. No, my voice, of course. My voice is ridiculous. It's how people uh, know me. My son does an uh, imitation of me, which is so horrific. It's unfair, I must say. <laughs> it is unfair. He does this horrible screech. I mean, it's, I can't even do it. It's like way up high. It is. He walks in the door and says, Lynn Cullen! Is it Lynn Cullen? I want to kill him. Filial piety, I'm going to drill into his head. Even when he was young, he would say to me, I'm going to put you in a home. (laughs) I'm going to put you in a home and I'm taking this one. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, I guess that's it, kind of, sort of, huh? Oh, I almost went to see that Churchill movie yesterday, uh, Darkest Hour or something, and I thought, you know what, it'll be so hard to watch (laughs) that measure of eloquent leadership, Uh, not to say that uh, Churchill was not with that, I mean, he was a a capitalist asshole too but what an eloquent man and the right guy at the right time until he wasn't <laughs> so uh Huckabee said Churchill is like Trump Huckabee the the governor Huckabee not the other Huckabee person now we got two wait wait yeah well I can definitely see yes Churchillian aspects to uh, Donald Trump. 
That's after I've dropped about 10 LSD tablets. Jeez. All right, we're out of here. Personally, I'm back out into the deep freeze. Everybody stay warm. And tell a teenager you see to put on a hat, put on gloves, and in fact even think about putting on a jacket. I see these idiots walking around in a hoodie. That's it. And I guess it must be the thing to act like you're not freezing to death. Stupid. In that regard, old age has brought wisdom. Stay warm. I'll see you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.